Mike Judge, he basically animated in the style of Mike Judge, but it's narrated by a lot of great people, and they animate some of the interview footage, and then the stories that the people are telling, you know, turns into a, yeah. you know, a vignette of an actual, you know, animated thing with the narrator behind it, and the Johnny Paycheck one's great. There's George and Tammy. There's Waylon Jennings. It's just incredible. Country artists and blues artists, I feel like, are especially prone to tall tales when it comes to stuff like that. Like, you know, you, you never you, quite know. I don't think any of that stuff is embellished. And I really? Think, I think when you're talking about those people, uh, they're real, the real hardcore people, especially those three. But George Jones, you know, that guy was uh, heavy into drugs and alcohol. And when you're like that, you know, you got stories. Yeah. It's like a story farm. Have you have you thought about what the fastball animated episode would look like? There's got to be Man, a couple stories in there, right? We got great stories. We've seen some really funny stuff. We've seen some amazing stuff, but it's all like I don't know. I guess when you're on this end of it, yeah, when you're in it, it's kind of hard to put together. And I always thought. You know, we should tell some of these stories. I tried to tell a story about the band once. I went a little too far in depicting some of the other people's activities. Well, that's the key. Is you some of the other people, people didn't like it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm so sorry. But, you know, I didn't see it on yeah. one side of the story. And then I'd see how it looks afterwards, after it's laid out as a... And wow, you know, it's difficult if you really want to, and you know, people write books and stuff, mm-hmm. and you never know who they're pissing off. I think, didn't, um, uh, didn't Bruce Thomas from Elvis Costello and the Attractions write a book? Elvis didn't like it. Then you never saw Bruce Thomas ever again. It's like, There's some stuff about Elvis. Like, I don't know the story. Yeah. And I just, I, I, I'm not going to, but that's sort of like the, the vibe you get, and I'm sure it's not completely true that way, and it was time for probably them to part ways, because he was incredible in that band, Yeah, Bruce Thomas. The bass playing, you know, this sort of McCartney-esque approach to uh, Elvis's fantastic songwriting and his sparse guitar arrangements, you know? It was like Bruce and Pete just laying down this yeah. amazing thing that was very melodic and groovy. That's the thing about being in a band. Somebody says some, one thing wrong. <laughs> it, you know, well, it's rough. You, you're in a van. Or... It's, it's a very serious, hardcore working relationship. Yep. So uh, we all know that relationships are very difficult. You learn and you either persevere or the relationship ends in the way that it existed before. Yep. This band hasn't had as intense a career as a lot of other bands have. Our career was pretty solid up to the point where we had a hit record, and we were on an upward trajectory, but it was more of a slow thing, Mm. and I felt like it was very organic, and I loved the way things were going. We were running around with an album that was okay. Nobody really, you know... This is the first album, 96? Yeah, yeah, Make Your Mama Proud. Yeah. And nobody was over the moon about it. You didn't feel like it was particularly spectacular? Yeah, I don't even... I mean, it's got its moments. Sure. Sure. But we were a live act, and we were doing our live show, and we were playing with some really great, fun to be with people and bands. Our first big tour, long tour, was with uh, Matthew Sweet mm. um, on his Blue Sky and Mars tour. That's like mid '90s. That's a dude. It's '95. Yeah, that's exactly the guy you want to be on tour with and in '95. Well, I was 
so in awe. Plus, what a great band. He had Rick Mank on drums, Tony Marcico on bass. He had Ivan Julian from mm. Richard Hell and the Void Jesus. on guitar. Yeah. I watched every show. I saw 45 live shows of Matthew Sweet. All I could think of for our band was being at that level. We were following them in a bus with a trailer. Like for you, that was the peak. Yeah, that, that was, was it. I just yeah. wanted that. I just wanted, I wanted to sell 100,000, 180,000 records and go out and be able to fill places like, uh, you know, the Showbox. Yeah. Because we, we played there in Seattle and it was packed. We played some other larger places all over the country, some universities, and it was packed. It was unbelievable. And um, that was all I wanted. You just wanted to be comfortable as a band. Uh-huh. Yeah. To have your following, that but you didn't my, want to be the biggest thing in the world. Right. Um, and I've come from a very indie um, musical place mm-hmm. as far as like the business goes. I was in bands in Southern California where you basically did all your all your advertising, you know, at the Kinkos. Mm-hmm. You, word of mouth, you, you had a phone book, you had a lot of calls to make all the time. And you talked to people and you established relationships and then you started talking with people from other parts of the country. And you got, you know, you got things going that way. DIY. Yeah. And then getting signed to the major label was not a very huge step in any different way because we weren't a priority. We were not a priority yet. So we were getting thrown into the college markets, going doing smaller radio stuff. Yes, gigs. Six gigs a week all over the country on Make Your Mama Proud. But it was small scale and it was really no money. We were doing the best we could to try and earn money, uh, but we weren't really making any money. We continued that way. We were able to tour with some decent some decent acts. Then we made another record, and we weren't sure that that record was going to even get put out, that possibly we would be dropped before a release date. Did it feel better going into it than the previous record? You said you were super thrilled with the first one. Uh, well, after... After being in the studio making this sort of hard rock record yeah. or a kind of pop punk record, it's not really punk. I don't know if that's really a thing yeah. at all at this point. Sure. In, anyway, that's another story. <laughs> that is a long, long but story. We got into writing better stuff yeah. and stuff that needed uh, more diverse arrangements and parts and instrumentation even, and maybe some strings here and there, and maybe some keyboards. Somehow, because one of the big guys at Hollywood was a vice president A&R guy, Julian Raymond, was also in-house producer. Mm. So he had no problem with going ahead and just business as usual. Let's just, we're signed band. We got a record to do. Let's fulfill our, our responsibilities. And we went to the studio. We went to A&M and started working and um, we were able to do whatever we wanted and nobody was bugging us nobody was no president of the label was was calling to find out how's it going or bugging us in the studio or anything we're trying to change shit and we made this record we made uh, all the pain money can buy 
Um, we didn't know if any of the songs were going to be even, you know, popular, if they were going to be on the radio. We weren't going for a single. We didn't really know what to put down as a single, what to release as a single when the record was finished. Uh, we were in a... I remember Sooner or Later was in contention, probably up there on the top of the list, and we were talking about it in the offices, and there wasn't even a president at the label. We were working with another a vice president. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like, So we're um, having this discussion, and then our manager joins in on a discussion and on a conference call, and he just says, what about that song, The Way? I think it's pretty cool. We're like, yeah. Well, we didn't think about it as, yeah. you know, I, I literally thought that it would be the kind of thing that, you know, most people would have a hard time getting into or maybe it might be just too off the wall. I didn't really know. I didn't have a perspective. And he went for it. And then everybody just sort of went, hey, oh, hey, that's not a bad idea. But we didn't think it would be. We just didn't know. What was the disconnect in your mind, knowing that you were doing a better record than the first one and having all these the, these resources from a big label? Why didn't that connect? Why didn't you think it was going to go anywhere? Oh, well, it's not really that. The, that's not the thing that concerned me so much. Yeah. I was Because I don't know anything about major label sure. promotions and radio. You certainly didn't in 1997. That's what I mean. Seven, that's, yeah. that's what I mean. 1997, Tony had no clue. Yeah. A 2001 Tony had no clue. It was also a very interesting time to be in that world. Right. You know, I moved from L.A. And I moved... I wouldn't say the other guys agree with me, but I think us living in Austin probably didn't help being, you know, Hmm. 1,400 miles away from the label. Yeah. Another 1,200 miles away from our manager in Atlanta. Um, There's disconnect there. And... Anyway, it wasn't so much the resources. The resources I was totally into. It meant we could get this guy Bennett Salve to do a bunch of arrangements and get some do some keyboard stuff. And then we got Kim Bullard, who plays with Elton John now, mm-hmm. to you know play. He was in Poco, and he mm-hmm. he did tons of like B three stuff, and that's all great. Yeah. I loved that. I was like, I can't believe we're able to do this stuff. You know, and here we are at A&M Records, and, oh, here comes Lemmy to hang out and, you know, drink beer and wants to come in and sing a harmony on, on this song of Miles's. And you just feel like Brian Wilson for a second there. Yeah, exactly. That's all I wanted. We're, we're yeah. really making records at that point, and we're really doing, can we try this? Can we try this? Hell yeah, we can try this. When Lemmy comes in and, and wants to perform at one of your songs, it must feel like you've made it to some degree, even though the record hasn't come out. Well, we've always... I've always felt like I was there. Yeah. Ever since 1978, when I played a 4th of July driveway at a block party uh-huh. in Tustin, California. I was 14 years old, and I'm playing with this band of you know, 18-year-olds, and I knew that's it. That's you were, you were what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> And I've always loved records, and even before the Beatles, you know, before I got into the Beatles, I was listening to all kinds of, like, old comedy records and Johnny Cash records my mom had and Frank Sinatra and whatever what happened to be there. Are you joining? Yeah. yeah. All right. Miles just walked in. <laughs> Did you eat Chinese food? He just started the cookie. It says, uh, you will be asked to step up to the plate in new ways. Step up to the mic. That's what my fortune That's said. That's what it says. 
Step up to the mic. You will be asked to step up to the plate in new ways. I like, you think it, it's literally about the podcast? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's already coming true. I was just telling Brian how. What you were talking about when you feel finally successful. Oh, I was saying when you're in the studio at a major label oh, and yeah. Lemmy wants to sing it one of your songs, you must feel oh, like yeah, you've right, like right. you must feel like you've hit the jackpot, right? I was the only one there when he showed up, right? Because yeah. you were gone. Oh, I, I didn't It was the last day of recording. And what had happened was Matt Sorum was producing Poe, mm-hmm. and he's friends with Lemmy, and Crazy Girls, the strip bar, was right across the street, so... So Lemmy was around. Yeah, Lemmy was around. <laughs> and uh, at that point, our, nothing in our career had changed, except that we were we were making records in Hollywood, so that, that was new or sort of different. Sure. And it was cool that he was there, but the coolest part was he wanted to hear some music, and when he... And we were done, so the engineers had put all the tapes away, but they freaked out when he came in. I said, is it possible to play some music for Lemmy? And they were like, absolutely. And they put up Charlie the Methadone Man, and he listened to it, and he turned to me and he goes, sounds like the Ivies, which was Badfinger Yeah. before they wow. changed their name to, to Badfinger. And that was like the highest compliment to get... That was true validation. To have yeah. let me not just listen, but actually like it. And then he wanted to sing on the song. So that was amazing, too. And he did sing on the song. But and just what didn't. happened to him? We can't find Well, him. it's in the Hollywood vault, but his voice was t- just too out of context to, <laughs> you know to make it work. You know what? Something tells me uh, there's not a Hollywood vault. And everything was at the universal place, the fucking... The universal storage place that everything was... Yeah. Lost. Yeah. So everybody's records, all their masters are gone. I'm sure that's in there. Maybe, or maybe not, but who knows? I mean, who can't, cares? You can't get Lemmy to record a record with he you anymore. He didn't sing so a like, harmony, but yeah. it would have been great. He wanted to sing, well, he was kind of singing. <laughs> but it was already the harmony that was there. He goes, uh, I hear the harmony pop. And it's like, yeah, because it's like triple tracked. That's what, that's the part. Here. But we, God, he wanted to sing. It's like I'm not yeah. gonna tell him no. And they set up the mic facing angled down, like he likes it. And it was amazing. He got in there. And it was a little like, you know, I go living. He go living. <laughs> It was like that. It sounds like one of those things where the, the album like could have not gone anywhere, and he still would have been pretty happy with the turn of events. And, you, you had that opportunity. Well, sure. You got to be in for the ride, you know. I mean, yeah. obviously, we're thrilled. We wouldn't have had a career if that record hadn't taken off. But if I was just in rock and roll, thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna," the goal was always to get songs on the radio and all that, live the dream. But if the day to day wasn't fun like that, you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. What would keep you going? You know, it's it, it truly is the journey that makes it a blast. It's a blast playing rock and roll. You were sort of alluding to the fact earlier that it was a bit of a slow burn, but it, it might have felt that way at the time, but Up in hindsight, point, yes. yeah, in hindsight it seems I mean like things happened quickly. And what I meant was, you know, once that we did get a record on the radio, it was a completely different pace. For me, it was difficult to deal with, actually. I liked the way things were going up until that point. I had goals. I always thought we were successful already, though. You know, I felt like we were in a good spot. Yes, things would get better. But I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I didn't want to... And I don't know. You say that if we didn't have that record and that hit, that we wouldn't have a career. But I bet that if we'd have kept making records, uh, eventually we would have 
done the things we do, which are great. I think that it just it would have. But it's the, kind of a hiccup, really. The, the question is: is would you have continued to make records if yeah, you hadn't had that success? Really, that really is the question. Yeah. We would have had to stay together, despite not having all the pain money could buy. Yeah, yeah I would, we, we, we would. I mean, I don't know what would have happened. Make sure. more records. Uh, we could have made more records, but you just never. The, the thing is. We, we were about to get we, dropped. We, anyway. we weren't. We weren't young guys. We were. That's true. We were already. People, yeah. Yeah. I was the youngest guy in the band, and I was already thirty. <clears throat> All our peers years at old. that time. Sure. So, so I don't know we're how younger. much longer. Like, yeah. Our drummer would have yeah. hung in there. Uh, he's five years older than me. So he was thirty-five when we made it. I, you know, how much longer was he going to keep at, writing? At a certain in point, yeah. At a certain point, doing that at a certain age and not having any success, like it's maybe time to reconsider. Well, right. you start to feel like, yeah, I, I, it's hard to say, like happily we didn't ever come to that. I do agree with you when you say it's a hiccup. I, I tell people it's like an earthquake. People like to look at our career and go, don't you feel bad that you had success and then the success isn't what it was. I go, that was an earthquake. That wasn't a normal day yeah. in Los Angeles. You know, no. that, that was an earthquake. You can't base things around an earthquake. You got to base things around it, what happens on a daily basis, you know? I mean, was it more of a blessing or a curse? A bless, total blessing. Because it isn't like well, we, we didn't get that kind of experience every, you well, know, every lifetime. Also, it isn't like we got successful with a song like I'm Too Sexy for My Cat. Sure. It wasn't something that was a gimmicky, some stupid gimmicky song that we're ashamed of. It's a great, great song. You hear those, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of one, but you do hear those stories from bands that are like, they had that one song on <laughs> a record. Like, Not right. a Surf is probably, right? Right. Kind of a good example of like a t- What a great band, too. A great band. I mean, I, I think it's a good song, but it was kind of a novelty song. Exactly. And I think that that kind of fucked them up for a while. We just, yeah. We just played with uh, Men Without Hats, and they played their hit. Yeah, Safety They played dance. their hit first song. Yeah. And last song. Okay. I'm grateful that we don't have to do that. Yeah. Or we don't even, aren't well, even we inclined to. We wouldn't do that. Right. We would never do that. You do feel you do feel like you know people are coming out. They want to hear those two songs I from just, that album. I listen. Yeah. I, I basically <laughs> they don't only want to hear. Them. No, I know we, for sure. We but know like, for a fact that they don't. Like I, like for example, like I you know I, I had Harvey Danger on the show, and like they were, for a while they were not playing Flag Pulsita. People love the band, but they're still oh, disappointed yeah. when they don't hear that song. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good idea. Uh, look for me. <laughs> If I go see uh, The Verve, I want to hear yeah. Bittersweet Symphony. I went to see Oasis, and they were kind of stingy one of the times I saw them with the, the big hit song. Sure. I mean, they are famously assholes, to be fair. And I'm like, come on, man. You, you, do yeah. you think you're Leonard fucking Cohen? You're not, you know? you. The reason we're here is to hear those tunes. But even he played Hallelujah. Yeah, well, he. <laughs> my point is, if you're a certain kind of artist, sure. maybe people do... But they still want to hear those songs. I mean, like, okay, here's a good example. I went to see Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. I saw him twice. The second time I saw him, I'll be darned if he played anything I knew. It was all kind of new stuff. And then he might have thrown one. And I love Tom Waits, but I was still in that case. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. No, nothing? Yeah. Really? Yeah. No jockey full of bourbon? No, it's all real gone and after? It's all like the late latter yeah. albums? I mean, God, you have some classic, classic tunes and you're not going to play any of them? And they weren't hit songs. They were just iconic Tom Waits songs. And so, I just feel like, 
I think artists can do whatever the hell they want. But for me, since I want to hear certain songs when sure. I go see an artist, I want to deliver the same thing to our audience. Are you able to have a different relationship with them? I mean, do you find that it's evolving? Are you still do you still find ways to enjoy the process of playing oh, something man. that's twenty years old? Those are great looks. I'll, hard I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Those are well written. I didn't write them. He did the ones. Well, I wrote Fire Escape. Yeah, but he wrote our biggest songs. They're really well written. You're songs. not ashamed of them. I love them. Yeah. Me too. And they've great chord progressions. The guitar parts are really fun. I didn't see a downside. It's not like oh god, we got to play that stupid song. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I could handle it if I was really that. I love. I actually look forward to that because to me that's a, a layup. Like yeah, yeah people yeah, are gonna yeah. love love this. It's a great <laughs> slam. You yeah. know, like you, you might, know you got him in the palm of your hand. Sure, you out. might have to work. So no you might have to work a, right. You might yeah. have to work a little harder if it's new songs or or even just on any given night. You might have to work hard if for whatever reason the vibe isn't there. You're always not. gonna have that though. But that yeah. is guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. People look, always go crazy every single time. They love it. Yeah. Actually, some nights when we're really on, it almost feels like a, kind of an afterthought. Like, we always play oh, yeah. it really well, but sometimes it's... The, that's when you really know you're making progress, is people aren't... They're not necessarily waiting for it. So it just depends on who the audience is and what... what, what. I kind of feel like it's been so long since those songs were hits. The people that are coming to see us now aren't coming to hear the yeah. songs only. You know? Whoever, whoever those people were are, are no longer coming to the show. It's a different kind of show, though, too. You know, we end up playing a lot of, like, say a small town in Georgia is having their mm -hmm. wine festival. Sure. And we're going to play, we're headlining. Yeah. And so we're playing, and nobody in the whole town knows who we are. And they gather around, and we're playing. And, and then we play those songs, and then, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> The uh, lizard brain kicks in. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, and that's kind of a drag. For me, it is. I mean, we just did this thing for Google in Seattle, and nobody gave one shit about what we were doing. It was like a family picnic with all yeah. the people. All, I mean, and it's just like, oh, a band. Isn't that quaint? I was at South by Southwest several years ago. I was staying at this hotel that was like probably 30 minutes outside of downtown Austin. And I was I was sitting at the bar having a drink and, and I hear a, a British man talking to a woman. And slowly it dawns on me that it's it's Glenn Tilbrook. Oh, wow. oh yeah. Right? Fantastic. Like one of the greatest yeah. pop songwriters of all time. Uh -huh. And he was talking, I think it was, a tar it was like a Target gig that he just played and he was talking about it. And it was just like... To me, that would, there was something just sort of profoundly depressing that like somebody like Glenn Tilbrook would, what would year do that. Is this? Th this was, um, God, like maybe six or seven years ago. Because Squeeze has been going for a while. Yeah, pretty good. They don't have to. He doesn't have to go and do those solo things. He was doing a he was doing a corporate gig and he was like nobody was just him, just him on a guitar. Oh, I see. and nobody was really paying attention to what was happening on stage, and that was like yeah, like that the, hurt my heart. Like the pre the pre the the CEO's uh, PA's yeah. favorite band. Oh, I know a band. It was like a paycheck. I mean, obviously, like, doing a show like this is a very different experience uh, it is but it, to me it's all showbiz yeah I, I feel like if I prefer these shows sure <laughs> to a corporate game our, yeah. it's us it's our show we're not the provided for you know we're not the provided entertainment we're the the show I was reading a, an interview with you guys 
I think it was right around the following album from the LA Times. They did a piece about how like you know the next record didn't. It, it just it didn't hit for whatever reason. It didn't hit in the same way. But harsh light of day. Yeah. yeah. How much of a crisis of confidence is there when something like that happens? When you're kind of going up and up and well, up. Well, we and thought that stops. record was cool. So confidence still there. Confidence in sure. our situation, not so much. Confidence in the band. I wasn't phased. I thought we really had something. We still were improving. We were expanding our. Repertoire, which you gotta do if you're in a band, you know, get some more material out there. But I didn't know how to really deal with all the. I didn't, and I wouldn't see it too. I had a big denial situation going on. I think Miles saw things a lot quicker than I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just remember asking, because um, I keep track, I was very interested in how we were doing. Yeah. So I would say, Where's the, how's the new song, You're an Ocean, doing? And they'd say, oh, it's at number 23. And i go, that's great. Uh, and then I'd ask the next week, where, uh, oh, and they go, we'll see if it becomes a hit. That was my favorite part. <laughs> I go, it's at number 23 yeah. on the singles chart. They go, yeah. I go, that's not a hit? I thought top 40 was hit. Yeah. They go, oh, no, that's not a hit. 23 is not a hit. No. I go, what's a hit? Top 10. Gotta be top 10. Their so, context changes so much when you already have a hit. Like, if you were still on the way up, right. I guess it would have been a different conversation. I guess they'd be thrilled. I don't yeah, know. they'd be stoked. Yeah. Push I, the crap I, I just remember the next week, I was like, what? where's the song? And they go, it's a 23. I go, no, that was last week. They go, no, it's a 23. I went, uh-oh. And then, I think we did a show right after that in L.A. And our publish, publisher came. Right. From EMI. Yeah. And he was on the bus. We're hanging out. And he goes, he goes, I think the song is going to, I think next week the song's going to go into the teams. He goes, but if it doesn't, lose my number. And I was, <laughs> nice like, guy, I huh? was like, there we go. There it is. <laughs> at, least he's I got, at least he's honest. Yeah. I mean, he was joking, but he wasn't joking. Yeah. I knew then, Such I knew when the plane <laughs> started to lose altitude that it was going to go all the way down. Like, the real, I feel like when we really became a real band and real musicians was after that, hmm. having to go through the, the weeds again and having to stick together again after that giant sugar high of that. So many bands just break up after sugar that. High. Like it's over now. Go do something else. But I was never going to do anything else. Hmm. I was, I'm a lifer and so is he and so is our drummer. I love playing music. I couldn't imagine. I might do something else in the creative feel sure. like be a writer yeah. or something but I was never going to go get a quote unquote job <laughs> no way so I was just like well you got to figure out how to make this work which is daunting because when you have that kind of success people just they are like it's over now like like because you've had a hit but you didn't have a slow gradual build and you don't have this big big fan base already yeah because we didn't then suddenly you you have a hit and then it's over that's the way they like to think about it. It's over. So just mm -hmm. enjoy. Just play that one song forever. We'll try to get you some casino gigs and some... Uh, you can play the, the, the hot dog yeah. festival and, you know, whatever. Which is, I, I mean, know. like, you know, it's, it's not an idea where there are people who have, you know, had lives based on a sure. single song. Look, like I, I like to say it, I'll probably say it a few more times before <laughs> the interview's over. It's all showbiz. I, I kind of take comfort in that. Everyone likes to think of themselves as an artist, and I'm no different. 
I think I think I'm actually you are a, a great sure. a great artist. But I don't. That's the way I feel about myself. I don't. I don't. Anyone else could go one hit wonder, whatever. Those guys are just. I wouldn't. Who's to say? You know, I'm not. I'm not. Sure. I'm not precious about what I do, and I think it's all show. I think like, yeah, this is how it works. You shake your ass and they throw money. That that's the name of the game. What in mean, whatever way you shake your ass in, you know, it could be a very highfalutin way, or it could be a yeah. very. Um, but whatever it is, you know, if you go to an ACDC show and he came out wearing jeans and a tie, you'd be like, what the fuck? Where's the shorts? Where's the little? He's yeah. like, I don't want to wear the shorts anymore because you know I'm yeah. an adult now. Everybody would want their money back. Yeah, it's showbiz. That guy understands showbiz. Put on the fucking shorts and go up there and rock your ass off. And everyone is in Leonard Cohen. Similarly, if he came out in shorts, you'd be like, what the fuck? You're Leonard Cohen. Where's the suit? Where's the where's fedora? The, where's the gravitas? Yeah. Where's the fedora? You can't come out in shorts and like flip-flops. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sing a few songs for you. So it's all about presentation and whatever you're famous for and whatever you've cultivated. That's That's what showbiz is. But it felt like because there wasn't that built-in organic fan base in the same way, it felt like starting from scratch for you guys. I would say like worse than starting from scratch. It's just easy. It was easier for people to dismiss you. For myself, I never doubted that I wanted to keep going and that we were gonna. But I, I just doubted whether people, the world, would give us a chance, or if we were just forever doomed to be like, yeah, you had that one. And it wasn't even one song. It was like three songs, yeah, or four songs. But they love to say it's one song. Sure. And uh, we just kind of. We just keep going, and and over time, then if you stick around long enough, suddenly people's opinions do change. They're like, these guys are still making records. These guys are still playing, and then they come see us and go, these guys are fucking really good. So it, over time, you prove them wrong, or you, and who cares whether you just keep going. You know, you'll know when it's time to stop if there's literally they can't book you anywhere. Mm-hmm. No one wants to listen to your music. They keep looking at us, though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you wanted to talk to us, so I... Yeah, know. there must have been some pretty difficult conversations happening at that point. I mean, you, you seem to have a pretty good grasp on it. You the most kind of... difficult conversation and the most damaging to any band is no conversation. You know, I don't know if we were actually really addressing stuff that needed to be addressed. Our, communi- or... our communication wasn't good. Um, for a long time. It took us a long time to understand each other. I it guess just that's wasn't... what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good. But I'm not a good communicator. There must be something there, though, the fact that you're still doing this after all this time. Like, obviously, you get along. We work hard at it, and we're, you know, trying. We love I each think other. We, obviously, we want to make it work. Yeah. We obviously have something special together. We... I, I remember we played this show. It was in Austin. And I don't forget who set it up, but we played, and the idea was I would do a short set, he would do a short set, and then we'd play together. Mm-hmm. Well, there was some alcohol involved, and by the time we played together, also, we didn't bother to rehearse at all. Oh, my God. Do you remember that show? Yeah. Frank. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> Frank. Frank. Uh-huh. So it's we, like you just had a blackout memory. Out, and there was a bad poster of it. It was like, yeah. like a guy with a gun, and the other guy... With a gun, and they were like dueling. Yeah, yeah, it was like a gun. It was, it was, it was. So I thought it was just a ramshackle, just a terrible set. It was like I thought we sucked, Mm -hmm. Uh, but people seemed to dig it. And when I got off stage, one of my dear friends, James Chippendale, was in the audience, and I was talking to him, and he goes, "Man, that was great." I said, "You're kidding." He goes, "No, it was really good." I go, "That fucking sucked." Can you? 
are you kidding me? Like, we were flubbing words and missing chords. And, like, that was just dog shit. And he goes, you guys got something, man. He's like, it's really good. I just have to take people at their word. Like, like obviously we do, because when we play together, people like it. And they, they also like it more than either of us alone. It's not just a name. There's something happens when the two of us sing. He's got a high, very high, clear voice. And I've got him kind of a more... What you call? I'm a, I'm a baritone. And You're the Lemmy of the group. Yeah. Well, I've just got. I think he's a better singer, but we're. But but who knows? Maybe I, it it's two different things. But when you mix, it's chocolate and peanut butter. You know, you mix them together. It's delicious. I mean, I know it's it's probably hard to kind of quantify when you're, especially when you were right in the middle of it, but do you have a sense when, um, as you were saying before, the tides kind of turned back when people started taking you, you know, seriously again as a band? I always liken our band to a cactus hmm. because there have been plenty of times where we stopped watering the plant and it's like, it stays I was like, it's dead, you know, <laughs> stop watering how just stop doing anything. For, there was a period there where we had no booking agent, yeah. we had no manager, we had nothing, and we weren't booking gigs, and yet still there'd be interest in the group. And I fully expected the group to just collapse out of ap- apathy and disinterest, and then sh- it just never does. Like, like there's always people interested, there are fans out there, you know, and it, and, and it, it just kind of is a self-sustaining thing. So we'd leave, there'd be long fallow periods where we weren't doing any work. Like people always ask us, well, how have you guys stayed together so long? And it's three original members. And they always act like it's a miracle. And I'm like, <clears throat> Green Day, <clears throat> ZZ Top, you uh, too. I can name a million of the bands that are still the same there's, original. But they're, yeah. they're still they're still in the minority. I mean, of, of in the grand scheme of bands. So it's good to be in that club. Absolutely. I mean, okay. it is. There's a reason why people are kind of shocked by it because it is a relatively rare thing. Right. Well, I also would say there were long periods where we just weren't doing the band. Yeah. So. Not sure if that's staying, staying together. Sure. There was never a point though when it felt like we're just we're not going to be able to do this anymore. Yeah, no, there was. There were sure, but a couple months ago. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I was getting I tired. Getting I was getting that. real tired, and I just because we do a lot of stuff. We really it, we still have a hard time, you know, booking a tour that's worthwhile. That's going to make us be able to take a little bit of money home yeah. and get out there and play. In front of a bunch of people, it's we do we do difficult a lot to get. We do I'm sick of the one-offs. Yeah, we do a lot of one-offs. I'm sick of playing rented gear. I went through a lot of trouble to acquire the equipment that I own, and I like to use it. Tonight, we're playing on some some questionable stuff. Yeah, obviously, when you're in your early days, when you're in your like twenties, it's. It's okay if you don't make money. You're you just, know you're, you're not gonna. Make yeah, exactly. Money. You're there for a reason. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but I just, still love doing it. In fact, I'm. I don't think I'm making any money on this one because I <laughs> staying in Manhattan. I yeah. I think I'm gonna lose money on this gig actually because I I don't want to stay in Secaucus. In 2019, obviously, like the whole math of record labels and everything else has completely changed. Where does the money come from? From touring. From playing from live. Yeah. yeah. That's where the bulk the bulk of it comes from. Is you play your fee, your fee. It's it but it's happen. it's hard to do that when you're kind yeah, of cobbling you'll, together you'll do, one-offs. Well, anyone anyone when you do a one-off, it's always paying better than than if you do a tour. If you if you do a tour, sure. I could go into a long. Well, we have to on a commercial basis, it's more, but it's it's have, not as many. We would have to pretty shows. much. This right. is about right. it right here. This size venue is yeah. about all we can do around the country. 
in most markets. Some of them would probably not fill up. And we, but they also don't really pay that much. I mean, we gotta move everybody around. You gotta get to the next town. It's it's expensive. It's expensive as hell to tour, and we are not gonna spoon up. One that's why you bed. see. That's why you see these bands. The grown men. The, the they package, <laughs> they package bands together yeah. and stuff. It's all. It's a big science, you know. Have you done one that you feel that feels just like did, a sort of like nostalgia tour? Or, we just oh, did yeah. a, a one-off with, like I said, Men Without Hats. Yeah. And the Romantics were headlining. No disrespect, but you know what? Those guys, they rented backline gear from the same backline company we did. Everybody used pretty much the same kind of stuff. None of those bands wanted to share or remove their shit from the stage, so. We're in front of, and then there's bands <laughs> before us yeah. that have to get in front of us. So that it looked like a pawn shop on the stage. Twelve Vox amps lined up everywhere. So you're saying as men without hats are not very generous with their... I don't care, <laughs> whatever. That's just the case, sure. and it's stupid. Why'd they book three bands? They could have saved money. <laughs> they could have saved money and got just one band and then some other bands. Yeah. But no, they got to get three big name for what? To what end? Was that place packed? No, it wasn't. Maybe it's a I don't know. They, they, Maybe they're trying to lose money. I don't know. I think you're giving people away too It's much. like a Brewster's yeah. Millions kind of uh, yeah. scenario. Well, it, it's dumb, isn't it, to have all those bands in one bill? I don't think they knew what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely not. The people that put it on. No. But you got paid. You get yes. paid, and that's what I'm, I'm saying. Paid. It's like, you and actually, I've, I've that's our stuff. bread and butter. I yeah. told you about show business. Right. <laughs> yeah, show as long as I get paid, yeah, That's our it. bread and butter. It's, I'm just tired. I get tired of the adventure of all of it. Yes, he, I want to make the gets, money. He gets fucked. He gets tired of it. He, and it, the travel seems to really stress you out. Do you have to talk him down off a ledge? Yeah. I've actually regular? asked them, and they've been doing recently. These guys have had my back, you know, because I expressed it. We were going to go out and do this military tour in July. With like USO? Did. It was like that. It's not yeah. USO. It's it actually Armed, armed, armed yeah. Forces Radio. Yeah. Or Armed Forces Entertainment. And we, we did the things, but I didn't want to go. I was really like, I was nervous about it. I smoked a lot of weed. You know, that was out of the question. I don't like the way the climate of, you know, the country is, is right fair? now. Yeah. With that, the juxtaposition of that and the armed forces thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I totally, I love people in the military. I All three of us come yeah. from military families. My father was a 27-year Marine Corps veteran. You know, that's not the issue. The issue is being in the middle of... You know, this military thing when the commander in chief of all of them is someone I don't really approve of. And that piled up on the travel, piled up on, you know, going out with a, sharing a bus with a band I didn't know. It's just a, not knowing that kind of stuff. But I told him all this stuff, all my worries and everything. And since then, we've all met halfway and, and been able to, to make it. And for me, I've been feeling a sense of, they're taking care of me. I kind of need a little bit of that. And it's just more support. That's what I need. Otherwise, I'll just go and stay with my family and not go anywhere. I love to play. I can do that in the live music yeah. capital of the world. I don't need to go to New Jersey. I don't need to go to Canada. I'd love to play for those people and everything, but, you know, it's... It takes a lot out of it. It does. Do you get a sense that you would still be playing music even if you know it wasn't in I'm necessarily always this gonna play music. configuration I, I play music music is the 
It's my religion. The Kickstarter experience must have been interesting from the standpoint of actually getting an idea that there was that demand and actually having sort of a more direct conduit to... We've done pretty well yeah. using those formats. Uh, Are you talking about his? or Well, we both... All of the above. We I mean, both were really well, we successful did, we with did, first yeah, Kickstarter we did, programs. We, we both did one. And then the band did more like a, a pledge music, which is sure. a little different. Because the, the kick, first one because the Kickstarter is like you're trying to raise money to do the project. The pledge music was more like we've done the project, mm-hmm. pre-sales, and, and so like if you want to get the record pre-sales and stuff, it's not really the same. Because Kickstarter also they won't give you the money in Kickstarter yeah, if you don't if, if you, you don't hit your goal. goal. But it yeah. turns out pledge won't line. give you your money either. <laughs> well, they did the first. The first one was so it's not that different. At the end of the day, oh, we put out our last new album and in 2017, and it, it worked pretty good. Um, in 2018, we were re-releasing our hit record, "All the Pain Money Can Buy." And that's when we were almost done, and that's when uh, the their crisis hit or whatever. And you know, so we got screwed out of half our money. But you know, a lot of people, other people, got it even worse. You know, some people because they were going to make a lot of money and they didn't get their money, and some people who were struggling, who were just happy to get their five thousand or ten thousand dollar goals met, they didn't. They didn't get the money. They took it, and the fans got ripped off too. Is that something you would consider either one of those methods, something you consider well, going back to? Well, you know to? what's great? We compiled a lot of information from those various fund drives or whatever they're called. Yeah. I kind of think... Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding. Yeah. I, I'm starting to So think we can you, use them. You don't actually need that much money any, anymore to make a recording. So I don't, you know, I don't know. I would, just, I would just be more... We really use them for promotion. Yeah, that's where you need the money. That's what we did use them for. You've <laughs> you, got to hire a publicist. The, you need the you money. Got, see, your contact is somebody that we're hiring now yeah. to promote this record. That's really what you need the money for. Two years between records, for the last two records, after like a pretty... We're on a roll. Yeah. We're on a creative flood. We're trying to do is... Well, I figured we should try to do one sooner than later because the last record was nine years before that yeah. and yeah. There, there probably ain't going to be no nine years you know by that point just simple math you know, yeah. people running out of sure. decades There's, the road is running out and you want to I want to make another one as soon as possible I'm totally into it but, but yet you, you're like on the verge of leaving hey, what's wrong with making records <laughs> What's wrong with making records? I talked to, uh, I actually, I talked to Paula Cole yesterday. I, I did oh, an interview with cool. her. She's 51. Uh-huh. And she was just like, I'm running out of time. I was like, Paula, you're 51. <laughs> I guess there's a little bit of sense of mortality, but just also the the fact that like, you know, that's not necessarily something you can do forever. You know, you're not necessarily always going to be if able to sort of not, get up and tour and get on big, stage. And, uh, and you think you're going to go around at 60 and you don't have any kind of like real support. You don't have a manager or you don't have a crew. You don't have a yeah, I mean, manager. It's, it's, it's not going to be, it's, it's going to suck. It becomes, it's going to suck it, it can be a real slog. That's what she's talking about. Yeah. It can be a real slog. And if you have a support system, if you've got a road manager and a bus and all that stuff, then I guess you can keep doing it. But if if you don't have that stuff, then it's it's just it's just harder. And the older you get, the more you're like, what the fuck? But you know, I love to play live. It just depends on what it is. I have my little metric I use. Is it going to be fun? I'll do it. Is it going to be lucrative? I'll do it. How fun? How lucrative? If it it's pretty rare that it's super lucrative and super fun. Mm-hmm. That's rare. It's just, again, that's another, like, to me, a showbiz axiom. 
Usually, if it's super lucrative, it's not going to be that fun, and vice versa. Yeah. But it's really just striking that balance. So, yeah, I, 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 I do a quick. I eyeball the situation. I do the same and, thing. And I'm like, I go, you know what? That's not going to be fun or lucrative. Fuck that. I'm not doing it. You know? And I, I won't I won't do it if it isn't going to be fun enough or lucrative enough. I'll play for free if it's going to be fun. If it's going to be a blast, I'll go. But if it's going to be a royal pain in the ass to get there, you know, and then I'm not getting paid, fuck that. No. Hmm. Not doing it. Sorry. Like, like getting there is really what you're paying me for. It's a pay, you know, to, you, how many, pl- how many planes, yeah. how many hours, how many, and and how inconvenient, and and where am I staying? All that crap, you know. It's like that and all, for me, that it's all like, factors in. It's like how long are you going to take me away from my family? Yeah, well, me too. To end on hopefully a positive note. <laughs> I think it's all positive. I mean, overall, are you are you still enjoying the process? Wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing this. I, if if, uh, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't. I've been very lucky. When I think about it, I think I'm really lucky because I've never even played any song I didn't want to play. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. I know a lot of musicians, but a lot of times yeah. they, they don't... They have to play... They have to do covers or they got to do whatever they got to do. And they don't have complete control. I'm like... We get to go out and do a bunch of shit we made up in our heads, <laughs> yeah. and we get paid for it. Yeah. It's insane. It's, I'm grateful for that, for sure. And thank you for bringing it up. There you go. That was Tony and Miles from Fastball. Their latest, The Help Machine, is out now. Thanks so much to them. Thanks to Carrie for helping set up that conversation. Thanks to you, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L really information. That's rylcast com. I think that's about all we got for this week, so stick around because we're going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L. <laughs>